This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. Well, good morning, church. My name, as Zach said, is Kyle Culbertson. If you don't know me, I am the pastoral intern here at Trinity. Um, But as we get going this morning, I wanted to start us off with thinking through back to when we were kids. So if you can remember back when you were a kid or if you're still a kid today, think back to like last week, I don't know, whatever you want to do. But think through when you were between the ages of five and maybe all the way up to like 22, what is one question other than your name that you feel like adults would constantly ask you? Now, I know if you're like me, I feel like every adult I would meet would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? They want to know, what are your dreams? What are your passions? What, what do you want to do? And it's a good way to get to know somebody. Um, and for some people that would give an answer, it'd be met with great praise. It's a great thing to have. Now, this was my sister. She's someone that knew that she wanted to be a teacher when she was like four. And so every time she'd be asked that question, I want to be a teacher. People would say, that's great. That's a great dream to have. You should do that. She'd get into high school, guidance counselors, teachers would be like, yeah, you need to do this. Now do this next. Go to this school. We're going to help you out. Now, I didn't get that reception with my dreams growing up because no one really understood my dreams. You see, because when people told me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I told them I wanted to play professional soccer. And when you're little, they're like, that's cute. But as you get older, there tends to be more follow-up questions. Typically, the response is like, well, what else do you want to do? Or like, what other things are you excited about? And the response is you could see in their face, there's either confusion, just really uncomfortable about how to respond next, or even some disdain. And this is the response that came actually from my wife when we first met. You see, we met at The Ohio State University, um, and before we were dating, she was trying to get to know me, and she asked, well, what do you want to do after college? I told her, I'm going to play professional soccer. And she kind of gave me a look, and you could tell, and she'll tell you in her own words that her thoughts were, okay, but we're not five anymore, so how about you put your big boy pants on and figure out a real job? And so she would ask, well, what is next? Or I don't remember how the conversation went from there, but I'm thankful she never actually told me those words to my face until probably we were married, I don't know. But the reality is she wasn't willing to say no outright. And as, mo- as long as I can remember, every time I've responded to what I wanted to be, no one was willing to tell me, you can't do that. No, you can't have that dream. Because while no one really understood it, no one was willing to say no, because dreams are good. We love dreams. We love our desires. And in society, we elevate those as a high priority. Some of the highest things, they help us go and achieve more. They help us become better people. And so we want only our dreams to succeed. But the problem for us as Christians is that there's a higher authority in our life, and that's God. So what happens when it's not just your friend, your teacher, or even your spouse, but it's God that tells you, no, you can't have that? What are we supposed to do, and how are we supposed to respond when it's God's will that's actually in conflict with our dreams and our desires? Well, we're going to see this morning that there's two different responses that both the characters in our story show out for us. Because for both Saul and Michael, God's will is in conflict with their dreams. And a quick side note, I know a couple weeks ago, Zach called her Mickle, but he's wrong. 
Um, he's actually smarter than I am, so it might be right, but there's no way I'm saying Mikkel this whole time. So we're going to start with Michael and go through that way. Um, but yeah, so Michael and Saul have dreams, but God has a different plan. God's will is in conflict with their dreams, and through both of their responses, we're going to see that God is glorified. That God is glorified through Saul's response because he's glorified despite Saul's actions. And he displays his own power as Lord over all. Contrast that with Michael, who God is still glorified, but he's glorified through her actions of submission to his will and worship of him as Lord over all. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning is these two responses and what that means for us. And so I invite you to stand this morning as we open God's word together in 1 Samuel chapter 19, verses 8 through 17. And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow, so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing the lyre, and Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he eluded Saul that he struck the spear into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, told him, if you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. Michael took an image and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with the clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he is sick. Then Saul sent messengers to see David, saying, bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed with the pillow of goat's hair in its head. Saul said to Michael, why have you deceived me thus and let my enemy go so that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, he said to me, let me go, why should I kill you? This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. May he bless it for you and for me, you may be seated. And so as we begin here, we're going to see that Saul's dreams are in conflict with God's will. And if you've been with us for any point of time throughout this sermon series on 1 Samuel, you'll probably know what Saul's dreams are. It's become really evident at this point that his greatest desire in life is to keep the throne. He wants to stay king. And while many of his actions have really been not so great throughout these last couple chapters, we see that this dream and this desire is not actually wrong. It's not actually that bad, but it's something we might even encourage. Because if we look at when we first meet Saul, he's chasing down some lost donkeys. That's what he's in charge of. And now he's been elevated to king. He now has more donkeys than he could ever count. He's got more people that'll go chase donkeys for days. He never has to do that again. He's become elevated to such a status that he is taken care of. He's secure. But this is not just for him and his security, but it's also the security of his son, Jonathan, his daughters, his hopefully grandkids after him. You see, Saul has become put in a place where he can impact generational change in his family. See, we would all think that that is a great thing to be able to do. It's somewhat of an American dream, isn't it, that you would be able to get yourself to a place in life that you can provide a better life for your kids, your grandkids, and give them all a leg up, something you never had. We would probably say if young Saul showed up and said, this is my dream, we'd say, that's great, buddy. You should go do that. But the problem for Saul is not his dream, but the fact that it's contrary to God's will. It's not God's will that Saul become king and remain there for generations. 
And before you go on thinking that it's just because of Saul's sin, the reality is it was never God's will for Saul to rule for forever. You see, God had told long before Saul even existed that the, the kings were to come from the line of Judah. And yet Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. Saul was never going to get to be reigning forever like he wanted to. And so God had chosen another king. And it's become really evident at this point that that guy is David. David is the new anointed one from the Lord. Even Saul's own son, Jonathan, as we talked about last week, understands this, vouches for him, tries to get Saul to understand God's will. And Saul has choices. He can submit to God's will. He can choose to say David's the next successor. He can choose to make David king. But Saul chooses door number two. He decides, I'm going to fight God, and I'm going to fight for what I want. I want to keep my dreams. And we've seen Saul go after David time and time again now. He continues to hate and want to kill him. But the reality is that the enmity that he has with David is not with David, but it's with God. Because it's God that's taken away his dreams. Despite the fact God provides opportunity after opportunity for Saul to relent, Saul refuses Because ultimately, God is not Lord over all of Saul's life. Saul might think that, God, you can have all the sacrifices you want. You can have all the lip service I have. You can't have this dream. It's like if you would imagine standing in a room and your life is filled in boxes in front of you. Saul's telling God, you can have all these boxes in front of me. Just don't look at the one in the corner. Just don't cross this line. Don't touch that one thing. Don't we do that? How often in our lives are we sitting there telling God, you are Lord over all. We sing these songs. We come to worship. But the reality is we're telling God, you can have it all. Just don't touch my kids, my family, my money. You can have anything else you want. You just can't have that. The problem in that phrase is the same thing that Saul has. The reality is it's no longer a dream. It's no longer a good thing, but it's elevated above God. It's become an idol in his life. And despite God's continuous opportunities for Saul to repent from his idols, Saul refuses and hardens himself. He hardens his heart towards God and continues to want to kill the Lord's anointed. So what is God to do when a king hardens his heart against him? Well, the good news is this is a rerun for us, and we should know what God does because he already did it to Pharaoh, the king of the Egyptians, the one who hardened his heart towards God. God stepped in and made it even harder. God hardened his heart so that God would be glorified. And he's going to do the same thing with Saul. We see it in verse 9 when he sends a harmful spirit on him from the Lord. God is hardening Saul's heart even more so that the words of Exodus 9.15 would ring out just like he spoke to Pharaoh. When he said, For this purpose I have raised you up, to show my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God is going to be worshipped. He's going to be glorified. He's going to show his power in Saul's life. And while he did it through plagues with Pharaoh, he's going to do it a different way with Saul. You see, Saul's going to do everything he can to try to kill David. Everything he can to get rid of this rival he knows is there. But through every one of Saul's actions, God's going to actually use it to create that rival. God's going to use it for his own purposes. We saw it when he sends David off to fight the Philistines. Saul's thinking, I'll let somebody else kill him. I don't even have to do the dirty work. He'll get destroyed by these great men of war. But just as we saw in verses 8 and 9, David comes back triumphant time and time again. The Philistines are fleeing before him. God gives him victory, and as a result, the people love him. They love him way more than they ever loved Saul. It backfires. 
And so then Saul says, well, what's that phrase? You, you keep your friends close, but your enemies closer, right? And so he's like, I'll marry him into my family. Surely the dude won't throw, overthrow his father-in-law. We'll be good. I can keep my throne. But for whatever reason, Saul decides instead of giving him his first daughter, Merib, whether it's he wants to shame him a little extra or whether he wants to keep him a little bit further away from the throne and power, he decides, no, 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 I'm going to take her back. You can have Michael, my next youngest daughter. And so he gives Michael to David as his wife, marries David into the family. But the problem is, as we just read, Michael's the one that loves David. She's the daughter that chooses to save David's life when Saul comes to kill him. And so again, the plan backfires. Now, the text doesn't tell us this, but I think it's fair to assume Merib might not have made the same mistake, same decision. Saul might have been able to enact his plan if he had just allowed him to have the other daughter. But Saul's decisions come back to haunt him every single time. And finally, we see Saul is maddened over David. He wants to kill him with every chance he gets, whether it's through a spear, whether he's willing to kill him while he's sick. He wants to kill this rival to weed it out before it becomes a problem. But every time he throws a spear, every time he comes up with a plan, David thwarts it. God helps him get away. And when David finally comes out this window, runs away, there is a rival created. And the irony is the fact that David all this time has been willing to faithfully serve Saul. The irony is for the fact that while David wasn't even trying to become a rival king, Saul has made him one by chasing him off in front of the people. They see what is happening they know that David is a rival to the throne. And Saul's made it obvious. And so God's plans are accomplished. God is glorified despite Saul's actions. Despite our attempts, God's will will always prevail. God will always be worshipped. He will always be glorified, even when we fight against his plans. But that doesn't stop us from trying, does it? I know in my own life it's been something that I have wrestled with the Lord over time and time again. Because I shared with you that my dream was always to play professional soccer. And that was a dream that I chased after hard. And the Lord was gracious enough to allow me to play for four years after college. I was able to play in some minor leagues here in North America and the United States. But that was never really my dream. You see, my dream was bigger than that. I wanted to play in Europe or South America. I wanted to play in these places where soccer is king. Where you can make a name for yourself. Where you can have financial security. And it wasn't a dream that was ever devoid of God either. You see, I knew and felt God's call into ministry when I was about 18, 19, going into college. And while that might have been God's will for my life, I wasn't willing to put aside my dreams, and so I just tried to hitch his will alongside it. I told myself I could just go somewhere, play soccer for as long as I wanted. I would do a little bit of ministry on the side maybe. And then when the days came, when I was willing to retire, when I was done playing, I had financial security, I would just stay there. Then we could do full-time ministry. It was a great idea. I had all the plans worked out. But the problem is that wasn't God's will. Ministry was never supposed to be a side hustle for me, even though I thought it could be. And so God went through and closed every single door that I tried to walk through. And the ways that he closed them just kept getting more and more ridiculous. You see, I would see contacts go dark in Colombia. I would see things like an agent botch a deal in South Africa. I would see international roster rules change in Costa Rica months before I would arrive. And in all these times, I continued to fight God. I said, no, there's, there'll be another door. If I keep, keep, keep knocking, something will open up. 
And throughout this time, God was actually gracious enough to open two doors for me. You see, I had a buddy that worked in soccer ministry and provided opportunities for me in Kenya and the Dominican Republic, where I could do ministry and then play soccer as well. And this is no disrespect to the Dominican Republic or to Kenya, but the reality is, if you don't know much about soccer, these are not two countries you're going to see at the World Cup this year. These are not two countries you're going to see at the next World Cup, and these are two countries that have never been in a World Cup, because soccer is not king. It's not that important. The leagues aren't that great. The money's barely enough to live on at best. And so this would have been an opportunity to do full-time ministry and do soccer on the side. But that wasn't my dream. That wasn't what I wanted. And so I still remember to this day the email I sent back to my buddy. And I said, hey, thanks for thinking of me, but I could play in the Dominican Republic in 10 years. And so maybe later, but that's not what I want right now. And the funny thing about that email is you flash forward five years, less than five years now to this day, and I am doing full-time ministry. I am not playing soccer anywhere, and God's will was done. Ultimately, the final blow coming through a global pandemic, a baby on the way, and no job to speak of. God's will was accomplished even when I fought him. God was gracious enough to me to kill that idol because God will be worshipped. And he will be worshipped as the one and only Lord of all, despite our attempts otherwise. You see, Saul didn't understand it, and I didn't understand it either, that we can't just keep clinging to our dreams over God. But are there areas that you find yourself doing the same? Is there something you come to this morning and you're like, I'm just not willing to let that one thing go. I'm still drawing that one line in the sand, because God can't have that. The reality is the minute that we choose any of our dreams over God is the minute that we've chosen to glorify ourselves instead of him as Lord of all. But God will be worshipped. As Saul found out, God will be glorified even if it means despite our actions and through a display of his power. He will be glorified because he is Lord of all. But the good news is that that's not the way it has to be. And Michael shows us a different path where we can see God glorified, not despite our actions, but through them, if we're willing to submit and worship him as Lord. You see, Michael had dreams just like Saul, but albeit different dreams. See, we have to pull a little bit more out of the text to find hers, because she's not written about in the whole book, but we know that she loves David. We also know that she has this image lying around, this thing that she uses to foil Saul, and this image of this household God is a word that's not used that often in Old Testament in order for idolatry. It's not what you'll see with a golden calf or these pagan worship sacrifices. But it is a word that occurs very, very infrequently. That's the word. Um, But we are understood through this that some scholars believe that it is a God that is meant to fight infertility. And so the fact that Michael has this exposes a little bit more of her heart. Not only does she want love, she also wants babies. She wants to have kids While Saul had one American dream, she's got the other one, the Disney princess dream. She wants to get married, have her prince charming, live in the palace, and have kids, live happily ever after. But the problem is, again, that's not God's will. She's got a Saul-sized problem standing in front of her because her dad has declared war, essentially, on David, the Lord's anointed. And so she also has to make a choice, and her choices are either you can get involved or you can stay out of it. And staying out of it seems easy. It seems simple. It's honestly the best way for her to get what she wants. Because if you think about it, it's ultimately Saul versus David, right? 
And let's say, on one hand, David kills Saul. Well, congratulations, Michael. Your man just became king. Your queen, your happily ever after, is here. Well, let's say even on the other hand, Saul kills David. Well, Michael becomes a widow, but she's still a princess. She's still going to live royally. She's still going to have the opportunity to be married again, find another Prince Charming, and have children. And so it might be slightly less, but it's still a slightly less happily ever after. The issue is that Michael knows that to choose for David is to choose for God. To choose to get involved in the Lord's anointed is what God wants. Because like Jonathan, she understood what God was doing. And so I think in her mind, the, the words ring true of what we see Mordecai tell Esther in her story, that God will save his anointed. God will save his people regardless of you. But what if you were raised up for such a time as this? And so Michael chooses for God, and she chooses to act and save David's life. But the problem is that the consequences are devastating. They ruin any dream she could ever have of her happily ever after because her husband went out the window. And when he went out the window, she couldn't go with him because someone had to stay around and help him get away. Someone had to stay around long enough for Saul to be confused. But when he runs away, it's not like losing the husband that we talked about before. She's not a widow. She's still married. She still has a husband out there somewhere. Nobody else is going to step in and be the new Prince Charming and have kids with her. Because the reality is that David could show back up at any moment. And the fearful thing is that David's not any old Joe Schmo out there. This is the warrior of Israel. This is a guy that killed 200 Philistines just to marry Michael. You don't want to be there when he shows back up. And so there goes her kids. There goes her husband. But also there goes her family and her respect from society. Because she just chose her husband over her dad. And while that might make sense to us, living here in a Western world in 2022, that didn't make sense back then. That was a decision that was downright scandalous. It was a betrayal of your family and societal values to the highest order. And so while Saul might buy this little lie she gives at the end, nobody else is going to buy it. Everyone's going to see through the facade. And so ultimately, Michael's going to be left more alone, more isolated, barren, and more rejected than she's ever known. But she believed that God was worth it, that his plans and submitting to his will was worth all of this suffering. And the question is, would we believe the same? Would we do the same if it meant sacrificing all of our great dreams and desires? Now, trying to put this into perspective this morning, it's hard to realize how hard this decision was. And so I was trying to think, what would this mean for us in 2022 living in Puerto Rico? Well, maybe it means if you're under the age of 18 that you never get to go on to do the job you've always dreamed of. Maybe you never get to go to college. Maybe you're made fun of every day at school for the rest of your days there. If that was God's will, would it be worth it? Or maybe you're single and you've dreamed of a family forever. What if it meant God's will for your life was never to get married, never to have kids, and never have that family? Would God still be worth it? Or parents, what if you found out it was God's will not for your kids to get the best education at that private school, but instead to go to the public school down the street? Would God still be worth it? Or how about business people? If God called you to sell all you have and that was his will to give it all away, is he still worth it? Or how about families that are here on assignment? What if at the end of your time here, instead of getting to go back to that place you've dreamed about for decades, God says, no, you're going to stay. 
would God's will be worth making that choice? Now, I want to be clear that I'm not giving you God's will this morning. That is not what he is speaking of your life, and maybe it never will be. But the reality is it could be. You see, while God doesn't always choose the most suffering for our lives, God doesn't always give us the hardest decision, he could because he is God and he knows better. And it's our decision whether he is worth suffering for, whether it's worth submitting to his plans, or like Peter in our New Testament passage this morning, we're going to stand in front of him and rebuke his plans because they're too hard. They're too scandalous. Well, when we stand there and say that, we should hear the same words Jesus told Peter when he said, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. For whoever would, lose, would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The truth of the matter is, church, that God's plans are often scandalous. And praise God that they are because it was a scandalous plan to send Jesus Christ, the Son, the one and only Son of God, to a cross to die naked for our sins, that we should not perish but have everlasting life through him. That plan was scandalous. You see, submitting may mean losing our dreams. For some, it may even mean losing our life. But even then, we should know that it's worth it. We should know and believe that God is worth his word, that his most scandalous plans are always better than even our best dreams. Let me say that again. His most scandalous plans are always better than even our best dreams. You see, we are given an opportunity in those moments to submit to our dreams, to submit to God, sacrifice our dreams. And in those moments, we're given an opportunity to glorify God with our lives and our decisions, not just through ourselves, but to everyone around us that's watching. We're given an opportunity to partake with God in what he's doing in the world around us, even when it feels scandalous that we can worship him as the one true Lord over all, and we can witness that to everyone else that is looking. And as we close this morning, I want to be very clear about one thing. God's will for your life is not to give you the desires of your heart. The reality is God's will for our life is not even to give us new desires. But as Ezekiel 36 tells us, God's will is to give us a new heart. No longer one made of stone, but one made of flesh, and one that clings to God and his promises above all. That we would worship him as Lord, that we would submit to him knowing his promise and his word that no matter what suffering we go through, no matter what we're called to give up, no matter what dreams are broken, that all of those pale in comparison with the future glory that is to come. And that glory will come on the day that Jesus told Peter about when he said that the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will pray each person according to what he has done. So church, as we close this morning, let us remember that we can cling to this promise. That we can know that God is worth it, that he's Lord of all, and that we can glorify him by letting go of our idols. By letting go and submitting to his will. By worshiping him, not just with our mouths, not just with our hearts, but with our sacrificed dreams. Believing and proclaiming to the ends of the earth that he alone is Lord over all. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning that we can come together and worship you. We thank you knowing that we are amongst brothers and sisters around the world that are called into suffering even this morning. 
that they continue to be examples of the faith that we read about in Michael and in throughout your word. That they're willing to sacrifice all that they have, all that they could have, because they believe you are worth it. And Lord, while we may not be called into such hard decisions time and time again, I pray that it is something that we would truly consider. That we would think about it, Lord, and that we would realize the anxiety that might creep up in our minds when we think of it. That we would feel the tension in our hearts or we would see our minds trying to dismiss it away as too much. That God would never do that. But Lord, the reality is that you could do that and you would be worth it. Lord, let us remember this morning that it is you and you alone who are Lord over all. It is you and you alone, not ourselves, not our dreams, that is worth worshiping. And that it is you and you alone that will be glorified. And I pray this morning that we would all find ways to see you glorified through our actions and through our sacrifices. That your glory would be proclaimed. In your holy name we pray. Amen.